Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Oh man, guys, it's, it's a beautiful evening in the presence of the Lord. Jesus is here and um, feels so beautiful in here. Let's, uh, let's just go ahead and, and pray. Let's just point our eyes to him right now. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Lord, tonight we, we don't come as experts. We don't come to your word as professionals. We come to your word as hungry Hungry children, desperate, desperate, desperate for a touch from our precious Father. We thank you, Lord. Right now, I pray that every heart in this room would pant for your glory, would pant for your presence. As the deer pant for streams of water, so my soul pants. God, I pray that you would just cause this to be a house that continually pants for her bridegroom. God, I thank you right now you would just release that in the room. God, if there are any hearts that are cold or calloused or just apathetic, God, I thank you that they will leave today burning. (laughs) Burning, God. I thank you for bodies that are sick You said all that came and touched you were made whole. God, I thank you that every single person that comes to the Lord this morning would be made whole and healthy. Spirit, soul, mentally, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just say amen and just thank him. Amen, amen. Um, So this evening I have the pleasure of continuing our series called The Red Letters. These are... The words of Jesus in the scriptures, and, and I, I just want to say, I believe it is time that the bride of Christ falls in love with the Bible again. <laughs> believe it's time that she falls in love with the scriptures again. Please note, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will what? They will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I want to suggest there will never be a day where we graduate beyond the scriptures. (laughs) I want to say even in heaven, we will be reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. I I believe, uh, I believe in the days ahead. How many of you can feel like, there's just been crazy spiritual warfare since like, since COVID, since 2020, there's just been a heightened sense of spiritual warfare happening all over the globe. And uh, Christians are absolutely not immune to that. How many of you can say that since 2020, you've experienced a personal warfare that you have not experienced um, before that the rest of your life? It's just, just everyone in this room. I want to say, I believe in the last days It'll be very difficult to survive with a lukewarm relationship with the scriptures. (laughs) 
We need this to come alive again. You may say, I don't, I don't feel anything when I read. Well, it's a good thing that we are called believers and not feelers. <laughs> believers, not feelers. As Pastor Bill has said before, people say, well, I don't, I don't remember what I read. And his response is, well, I don't remember what I had for lunch last Thursday, but it still nourished my heart. It still did me good. It doesn't matter if your brain isn't getting anything. Your spirit is receiving something from the scriptures. Pastor David hit last week, he touched on offense, offense, church hurt. And what, what I like to, the, the analogy I like to, or the scripture I like to go to, um, talking about spiritual warfare, using the scripture to fight in seasons of warfare is Ephesians chapter 6. The whole book of Ephesians, uh, it's, it's really interesting. That is the only epistle, the only church Paul writes to that he does not give any corrections to. And so uh, th this is really like God's gold standard for church. They were a church of revival. And so his last chapter um, in his letter to the Ephesians, he starts talking about spiritual warfare, prophesying about a season of warfare that this church would eventually go, to, go through. And he, he brings this analogy in of a Roman soldier's armor. Many of you are familiar with this. He says, put on the helmet of what? Salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And then he compares the word, the scriptures, to a sword, the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. And the Romans, this, this, this armor, this sword that they had, it was not only meant for fighting offensively in battle. That was definitely a part of it. But another purpose that this sword had, that the Romans had, was for after the battle was over, they would sit down and just begin to examine their armor and they would see different areas in their armor where the, an arrow of the enemy may have came in and, and stuck to them. Church hurt, <laughs> offense, criticism, arrows of the enemy that may get through that shield of faith, that may get through that breastplate of righteousness. And what these soldiers would do is they would get this sword that they use in the battle and they would use it to carve and cut and purge themselves from the arrows of the enemy that they got in battle. What's the implication? When we behold the scriptures, when we sit down, when we get alone in, script, in the scriptures, there is a, a sword that comes to us that not only fights darkness, but it purges out offense. It purges out pain. It purges out arrows of the enemy that have penetrated our armor. Say, in these last days, we must be, uh, not be lukewarm with the scriptures. We must be burning with the scriptures. You know, there's, uh, I believe, uh, an unspoken lie in, in a lot of maybe spirit-filled churches that if you put too much emphasis on the scriptures, then we might lose our flow in the spirit. And I believe that the only way we can truly flow in the Spirit is seeing Jesus through the Scriptures. Seeing Jesus through the Scriptures. I've heard many people ask, what are you? Are you a, a Bible word church or are you a presence church? And I'm like, 
Show me the scripture where Jesus asked us to choose. Are we Bible or are we presence? How about we read the word from his presence? How about we declare from the cloud, declare from the glory? See, the devil will always want you to make a choice that Jesus is never asking you to make. <laughs> are we presence or are we word? We are both. We don't have to choose one or the other. The, I like to say it like this. <laughs> The Bible is the only book in existence where the author shows up when it is read. <laughs> his presence comes when we read his word, when we're with him. So I want to uh, talk red letters. title of this message is called Guarding the Glory. Guarding the Glory. And uh, I really want to spend the majority of this teaching focusing on uh, Luke chapter 2. Um, and, and really, this, this story is a story I, really, I rarely ever hear taught on. But this story contains Jesus' first words ever spoken in the flesh when he was, many people think, a preteen. And, and this is really a profound story. And there's so many nuggets in this story that we can find on how to guard the glory of God when we are entrusted with it. And... Uh, you know, God's glory, it, it's, it's kind of really, uh, it's hard to define what is undefinable, right? God's glory in many Pentecostal circles, it, it can be drawn down to like goosebumps or your hairs on your arms stand up. And while that is all amazing, God's glory can't be reduced to a mere feeling. We definitely feel him when his glory comes, but that is not the apex of his glory. And the scripture I, I want to give right now, uh, this is really my, my best scripture that I can give that can define this is Isaiah 66, 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. This is, the, this is a question I feel God is asking everyone in the world right now. Where is the house you will build for me? Husbands. Where is the house you will build for him? Wives, mothers, fathers, where is the house you will build for the glory of God? He says, where will my resting place be? Or where will my glory dwell? <laughs> I want to say it again. The God who is everywhere aches to rest himself somewhere. I want to say God's glory can be defined as God's resting place. It's really important to know we have the omnipresence of God. That, 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 that is always with us. How many of you know his omnipresence is guaranteed, but his manifest presence is conditional? His manifest presence is the glory. It's his glory. It's his resting place. Where will my glory dwell? Where will I rest? This could be uh, churches that he wants to rest on. This could be individuals. It's not just relegated to churches. It could be families. It could be teenagers who take his glory into schools. And, and I, I like to, to think of his glory at seasons of my life when my heart is burning for him, when my heart is vibrant, when the scriptures are coming alive. That's when I have this awareness that the glory of the Lord is resting on my life. And so the ultimate question I want to answer tonight is, what do you do if the glory leaves or 
What do you do when you don't feel his nearness anymore? What do you do when your heart no longer burns for the Lord? What do you do when you, you no longer sense his presence? What do you do when you open the word and it's, it's not doing what it did for you 10 years ago? What do you do when you come into church and your heart is just dull and cold? What do you do when you feel like you've lost that glory that you once had? When Jesus addresses the church of Ephesus, a church, the same church I referenced a couple minutes ago, he, ref, he, he speaks to this church that had lost their first love. And, and he says the remedy is for you to come back and do the things you did at first. I want to suggest that the greatest threat to the bride of Christ, if there ever is a threat, but the greatest threat to the bride of Christ isn't offense, isn't division, isn't denominations. The greatest threat to the bride of Christ is her losing her first love in Jesus. It, he addresses them and he calls it a great fall. It's not a small matter. It is a great fall. He says, come back to the heights from which you've fallen. So I want to start in uh, Luke chapter 2, and, and uh, see what the Lord has to say through this. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind, or Another translation says he lingered back. And if you, if you have your Bible out, underline that. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Hebrews chapter 1, 3 says, The Son, or Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact rep representation of his being. So what happened here? Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph lost the glory that they were entrusted with. <laughs> How many times are we ready to move on when Jesus is behind? <laughs> How many church services have you been to when we're ready to move on to the next thing in the set, but Jesus is saying, come and love me just a little bit longer. I'm lingering back here. Why have you moved past me? Why have you moved on past me? And the most tragic thing is that it says they were not aware of it. And please, when I'm, uh, please understand when I'm talking about losing the glory, I'm not at all talking about losing his omnipresence. God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But there is a manifest presence that is available for his friends. And it is costly. He is not cheap. Sobering to know that the giftings of God, the giftings and the callings of God on our lives are irrevocable. Those can never be removed from us. No matter what you do, you, whatever you do with your life, the call of God, the gift of God on your life can never be revoked or removed. But the glory can be removed. Billy Graham, he said this at the... I don't know what point of his life. I don't know if it was the end or the middle of his life. He said this. My greatest fear is that God would one day remove his hand from my life. Notice, this is the Billy Graham who preached in stadiums. 
This is the Billy Graham who ministered to presidents. This is the Billy Graham who uh, got more people saved into the kingdom. And notice his greatest fear wasn't that the stadiums would dry up. His greatest fear was not that I might lose opportunity with presidents. Why? Because opportunity can never feed or nourish the human soul. His greatest fear was the glory that was trusted with me may someday remove, be removed from me. But thankfully, it was that exact fear, that exact sobriety that kept Billy Graham on his face tethered to the presence of God. Nothing repels his presence more than entitlement. The thing that, oh, I'm just going to roll up here and expect what he did five years ago for him to do it again without praying, without reading the word. The recipe for revival never changes. It's prayer, it's fasting, it's intercession. Catherine Kuhlman used to say to young preachers, she used to say, sweetie, he changes for no one. You know, young preachers like us, we think, oh, we have the new method. This thing is going to work. The new church growth method, the new church growth scheme. Jesus refuses to submit to our church growth mechanisms and our schemes. He is Lord. This is his house before it is ever our house. King David said in Psalm 51:11, do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is a king who had access to all the riches in the world. He had access to land. He was king. He had many possessions, but those possessions did not have him. He said, he didn't say, take not the kingdom from me. He didn't say, take not uh, all the wives from me. He didn't say, take not, no, take not your presence from me. The Lord in this hour, I believe, he's not looking for the most talented or the most gifted or the one who has it all together. He's looking for the ones who are most lovesick for his touch, most lovesick for his hand. And he is available to all. He is available to anybody who knocks on the door every night or morning and say, God, I need you to touch me. I need to find you again. He won't give you a stone if you ask for bread. He is faithful. It was maybe 10 or 15 years ago um, at Bethel Church in Redding, California. This uh, phenomenon happened on stage as Jeremy Riddle was up on stage singing, let heaven come, let heaven come, let heaven come. This, uh, the best way to say it is cloud of gold dust started appearing right over the stage. And uh, it would come and go at different times throughout this, this period of Bethel Church, and they called it the glory cloud. And uh, it's entirely up to you whether you want to believe if it was real or not. I'm, I lived there for nine months, and I promise you the leadership there would never pull a gimmick like that uh, or do anything weird or, or wonky like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a new word. <laughs> Pastor Bill, every, he didn't talk about it often, but the times that he did talk about the glory cloud that came, he could never talk about it without weeping and breaking down in front of the students. And Pastor Bill said this, he said the most difficult thing that he had to wrestle with was when the glory cloud actually stopped coming. When it stopped coming. And what I believe Bill was getting at is that we are entrusted 
We are entrusted with the depths and measures of his presence that he allows us to taste, that he allows us to be in. And I always wondered um, in the life of Moses, I always wondered why was Moses never allowed in the promised land? All he did was bicker, all he did was complain, and that was just, it seemed so small, and he wasn't allowed in the promised land, and the rest of the Israelites were when they did much worse things, and I found out the answer is this. It's one word called proximity. (laughs) Moses was entrusted with the proximity to the glory that not everyone was trusted with. Therefore, the stakes were that much higher. Jesus said about Judas, it would be better if he were never born. (laughs) This is meek, lamb-like, loving Jesus. (laughs) He said it would be better. The one who betrays or casts me over, it's better that they were never born. Why? Why? It's because Judas was entrusted with the proximity to Jesus that not everyone was trusted with. What does all this mean? You and I are held accountable to the depths and measures in, in realms of the glory that he entrusts us with. It is a costly thing. It is beautiful. But it is a costly thing to have him, to have him in your home, to to have him in in schools, to have him in your churches, to have the glory. When the glory of God comes, it should provoke a change in our behaviors. It should provoke a change. Uh, When the glory of God comes, I don't know about you, but when you've been encountered by God, you can't watch what you used to watch. You can't listen to what you list, used to listen to. You can't, you automatically, you like, oh, I can't gossip anymore. It's like, man, I was about to go down this road of gossip and then the, it, just, it just stopped. And that's what the glory does. He raises the stakes and it's like, oh, I can't live like that anymore. I can't sin anymore. He's too holy for that. I want to I wanna live up higher. This is what the glory of God does. This is what the encounters with his presence does. Verse 44, I want to get back to this story. It'll get a lot better, guys, I promise. I'm gonna, it's going to be happier in a second. <laughs> Thinking or supposing or presuming Jesus was in their company, they traveled on for a day. <laughs> Thinking he was with them, they went on. How many times has that happened to us? I believe one of the greatest repellents or the greatest ways we can lose that vibrancy in our hearts is the sin of presumption. Presuming that, oh, I'm just going to make up my own plans and ask God to bless it. How about we do the plans that God is blessing? (laughs) Instead of doing something, I built this life, God, can you just bless this for me? He doesn't work like that. He's Lord. He's Lord. We must adjust to him He will not adjust to us. Verse 44. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Please notice this. It took one day to lose Jesus, and it took three days to find him. What's the implication? 
Sometimes it's easier to lose him than it is to find him again, but you can always find him again. I like to, to say it like this. At, at, any, at any point in my life, in my, in my brain, <laughs> depending on what thought process I choose to go down, what, whatever it is, I'm either, I'm, I'm possibly always about five to ten minutes away from anxiety, depression, anxious thoughts, if I choose to go down that thought process. And what happens? I immediately lose my awareness of the presence of God. And sometimes it could take maybe a week to get that back. <laughs> I want to say it's not even worth going down that road. Just stay focused on him. Stay fixated. Stay enamored with him. He is the most beautiful among ten thousands. Why would we ever want to look away at anything else? All right. So how, what does this mean for us? How does this apply to me? I want to answer those questions in the next few minutes. In other words, what do I do when scripture doesn't come alive to me anymore? What do I do when my heart becomes cold anymore? What, what do I do when worship no longer brings tears to my eyes like it once did? How do I find him again? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I want to give just three simple points that I've learned in my life of finding him again or guarding his glory, guarding his presence and finding that sweet kiss of heaven again when it feels like, oh, life has just cluttered me. How do I find that silver lining of his presence again? Number one, repent and return to your last encounter. Luke 2, 45, back to the story, says, when they did not find Jesus, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Mary and Joseph going back to find Jesus speaks of repentance, what is repentance? It's the word re means to return and penance means to the top. They went back to the last place they had him. I want to say that when you don't know what God is saying right now, go back to the last thing he has said. <laughs> go back to the last place that he spoke to you. Go back to the last encounter that he marked you with. Many of you got many prophetic words in, in the month of May. Get that phone out and play that thing over and over again until the darkness breaks over you. There was this, there's been seasons in my life where I go to be with God and everything in me does not feel like being there. My flesh, is, it's just darkness all around me, but I play my prophetic words. I don't just play them. I play them over and over again and I say them out loud over and over and over again. Paul tells Timothy that and he says, use your words, use your prophecies as weapons to wage warfare. Go back to the last thing he has said over your life. Rehearse it over and over again. You might say, oh, well, I looked at it today. Do it over and over again. <laughs> Feed your soul on what he has spoken over you. We can't have revival if we don't have repentance. <laughs> there was never a revival in the history of the world that didn't first start with repentance. The Lord is looking for people who refuse to take one step without him. One step without him. I heard a story of a, there's a pastor who, from Brazil who came to visit this American pastor. And he was just kind of taking him on a tour of different churches in America. Um, and and the, the American pastor asked the Brazilian pastor, he said, what do you think about the American church? And he, this Brazilian pastor said this. He said, I am 
so shocked at how much church can be done apart from the Holy Spirit. He said it's shocking. Where did Mary and Joseph go? They went back to the last place they had. And they said, oh, he's not, he's not here with us anymore. Let me go back and find him. When you discover that your heart is no, long, no longer burning, when your heart is dull, don't just make camp there. I want to say don't make camp there. Don't say this is just my life. He knows my address. He'll come and touch me um, at the next conference next year. No, you can have him now. You can have him now. You can have him now. When we went to, when we got into Bible school, I was coming off a, a personal season of, it's like a season, it's like a four-year season of sp spiritual dullness in my heart. Scripture wasn't alive. I, I hadn't felt the presence of God in a profound way in four years. It was just like a four-year really rough patch um, in my personal life. And I've shared this story a lot here. I always like to go back to my, my encounters with him. But there was one night about halfway through the year in my uh, little apartment there in Redding, California. We had this rug in our living room. And I, there's so much to the story, I can't go into it. But the Lord marked me in one moment. Four years of torment was completely lifted off of me. Four years of, of anxiety, four years of darkness was completely purged out of me in one moment with the presence of God in my living room. <laughs> On that rug. So months went by. Um, more and more time passed from that encounter. And uh, sometimes the Lord, when, when he gives you an encounter, he wants that encounter to become what I like to say cellular within you. He wants it to go from your head down to your DNA in your heart. And so that had not happened to me yet. And uh, Emily and I moved up here to McKinney. We got an, an apartment and life just started hitting us. And I felt... That same stuff I got freed from was just creeping back on me. And until one morning I just woke up. I'm like, all right, this is just how it is. I'm just going to have to battle this the rest of my life. And then immediately I just felt this, the, the word of the Lord in my heart. He said, go back to that rug. And in our apartment, we had that same rug in our, in our bedroom now. And it's not the geographic location. I'm not saying, you know, you need to go back to the exact geographic spot. But it's about going to that place in your heart. <laughs> so I got on my face and I laid on that rug and I began remembering the testimony of the tears that got soaked into that rug. The, the breakthrough that happened. And it wasn't enough for just me to just remember. I began saying it out loud. God, you met me here. You freed me here. God, I thank you that you'll do it again. And immediately that darkness just kind of went away. <laughs> just want to say, you don't have to wait till the next conference. You don't have to wait till the next prof prophet to come in and call you out. You have permission to be free right now. You have permission to be whole. You have permission for your heart to come alive. You have permission. <laughs> you have permission. <sighs> All right. I want to go to 1 Kings 19. 19, chapter, uh, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life one of them. Elijah was afraid. I would be too. <laughs> 
and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. If you think that the Bible doesn't address suicidal thoughts or depression or anxiety, look at the life of Elijah. One accusation sent him in a nosedive, an emotional panic. One accusation. Please keep in mind that Elijah just got finished with his greatest victory in God that he ever had. (laughs) And yet one accusation sent him into this nosedive. What does that mean? Well, typically when you experience a great breakthrough from God, it will attract the temptation from the enemy. It will attract a battle to see how real was that encounter that you had. How real was that? One voice, one accusation from Jezebel, which, by the way, m- much of the church calls a Jezebel spirit like an empowered woman. But really, in my opinion, the Jezebel spirit is a spirit of anxiety, torment, and suicide that comes on people. That's, in my opinion, what the Jezebel spirit is. It's not a spirit of whatever. It's anxiety, depression, and torment that comes upon a person. Verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him. This is his remedy to getting the glory back. The angel said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave. Keep in mind, this is the exact same cave or cleft that Moses hid in when the glory passed over him. What is this saying? When Elijah was tormented and experiencing a nosedive of panic, he went to a well that was available from his ancestors. I want to say there are wells available in the spirit. Run to the wells. (laughs) Run to the wells. He went to the well that his ancestor Moses went in to experience the glory of God pass over. He experienced him. That was the same mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments from. Go back and redig wells in your life that God once met you at. Sometimes we need to redig the wells. <laughs> redig those wells. The Lord spoke to me once and said, the, uh, the enemy will always occupy territory where there is an absence of sacrifice in your life. And sometimes we need to go back and redig those wells with sacrificial praise, sacrificial worship, sacrificial thanksgiving. Mo, uh, Elijah's remedy for panic, torment, and anxiety for losing the glory was go back to the well. Go back to the well of his presence. Second thing I want to note here notice what happens after Elijah is fed by the Lord. It says his strength returns. How many of you can feel many times when your strength is gone? It's not just a physical thing, but it's an inner thing where it's like my strength is depleted. My strength is gone. So there's a couple things I want to note here. (laughs) Number one, when you're anxious and depressed, never underestimate the power of a nap and a good meal. (laughs) It's just a basic thing I want to I take out of that story. Never underestimate the power of a nap and a good meal. How many of you have 
uh, before you went to bed, you're just like, you're, you're fighting with your husband or your wife. You're yelling at the kids. And it's like, you go to sleep and it's like, oh, my gosh, I just needed to sleep. That's all I needed. I, I'm like, everything's better now. Second, Elijah left strengthened from the meal. I want to say when you return to your first love in God, there is a strength that comes to you that no TV show can give you, no vacation can give you, no movie can give you. Vacations are awesome. We need rest. I love rest. But I could be on a vacation in the Bahamas and my soul be dead and dull inside if I don't have my first love in Jesus. Isaiah 40, 27. It says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow old or grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Psalms 103.4 says, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. So your youth is renewed like the eagles. This this scripture, these two scriptures are referencing eagles and a strength that happens in eagles. And this is something that, that really happens, so I've been told, in the life of an eagle. So eagles, from what I've, what I've heard, I might butcher this if there are any bird experts in this house. I bet there aren't. But <laughs> eagles around age 50 or so, they go through this process called molting. And what the molting process does, the eagle will begin banging their beak against a piece of wood, crushing their beak to pieces. They'll begin plucking their feathers out. They'll begin uh, crushing their talons to the point where they can't even go and get food for themselves. They have to rely on other eagles around them to come and feed them and strengthen them. And from what I've heard, about one in three eagles survive this process of molting. But those that survive... Their feathers grow back stronger than they were before the molting process. Their beaks grow back stronger than they were before the molting process. Their talons grow back stronger than they were before they were crushed. Not only that, but eagles who survive this process can fly higher than they were when they were younger. They can fly not only higher, but farther distances than they ever could before the molting process. I say all that to say when the psalmist is saying your strength is renewed like the eagles, he's saying I'm setting you up to enter a dimension of strength that is greater than what you have ever known before. <laughs> you might say I'm crushed. <laughs> Come to the Lord and the Lord has this, I don't know how he does it, but he has this way of when things in life get broken and crushed and relationships get severed, he has a way of restoring it back to a place better than it was before it got broken. <laughs> That's just who he is in nature. That's just what he does. He restores you. When you refuse to settle for a life apart from the glory, maybe you're crushed and you return to your first love in a place of crushing, you will receive a dimension of strength that is reserved only for those younger than you. <laughs> this is what the Lord does. This is who he is. He restores. All right. Second point, I want to go through this really quickly because I want to land this pretty soon. Keep in step with the fear of the Lord. Keep in step with the fear of the Lord. A few years ago, um, Emily and I were getting physicals done at the doctor, and um, Emily had a deficiency of, I think it was vitamin D. And we were like, can we just take like one multivitamin supplement? 
um, to just cover it all. And the doctor's like, no, you need to take a vitamin D specific supplement to get the nutrient back. And I, I, I say that to say, I believe there are seasons in the body of Christ where the bride of Christ, her, the body, will become deficient of a specific nutrient. And the Lord will begin using his messengers, worship leaders, songwriters, psalmists, prophets, to begin emphasizing this nutrient that the body of Christ needs. And one of the nutrients I feel like the body of Christ is deficient in, that the Lord is amplifying right now, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. He's emphasizing that right now in this season. Benefits of the fear of the Lord from Scripture. Job 28, 28, behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. I want to say if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're not going to find much wisdom. <laughs> Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you want to live longer on the earth, I would say get the fear of the Lord in you. <laughs> Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life that no, that, let me say that again. The fear of the Lord leads to life that one may sleep satisfied. How is it? That is so countercultural. Fear in the world's eyes keeps people awake at night, but fear of the Lord gives you a quiet night's sleep. It's what the scripture says. John Bevere um, came out with a book recently. I don't know how many of you read it called Fear of God. And um, I love John Bevere's books. And in the book called Fear of God, he interviews this uh, minister by the name of Jim Baker. And um, many of you seasoned saints probably know who Jim Baker is. Um, if you're younger, you probably don't know who he is. But he had this incredibly powerful ministry. Um, my dad was really impacted by his ministry. Um, but he had this very public falling out. And I don't want to go into detail, but he ended up going to prison for what he did. And... John Bevere interviewed Jim Baker and was just asking him these questions that he put in this book. And one of the questions he asked Jim Baker was, uh, how did you lose your love for God? And Jim Baker said this. He said, I never lost my love for God. I lost my fear of God. That's what got me into this position. And he said, me going to prison was not God's judgment on me. It was God's mercy on my life because if I would have continued on this path of unconfronted sin, my soul would be spending eternity in hell. I want to say, church, <laughs> counter to mercy when the Lord confronts sin in your life. <laughs> I'm one person, I, I break down when I, when any, when I get confronted with uh, any sort of correction, but I realize I need correction. I need it. Usually it just kind of breaks me. Oh, my gosh, I'm terrible. I suck. <laughs> but it's, it's the Lord's hand trying to grow me and saying, this is my mercy. It's not my judgment on you. He, he doesn't judge me with correction. It's his mercy with correction. Count it a blessing when he gives you mercy. If you compare the life of Saul and David, the, the one defining factor, in my opinion, that separates Saul from David, if you look at Saul, the sin he committed seemed uh, not as bad as the sin, sin David committed. Uh, David slept with Bathsheba and got her husband killed. But here's the one defining factor that separated them. 
David desired to be restored in the eyes of God. Saul desired to be restored in the eyes of man, the eyes of people. Saul told the prophet, restore me now, bless me now in front of the people. David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The fear of the Lord. Pastor David mentioned last week about the importance of brokenness. I want to say it is the fear of the Lord that not only gets us broken, but it's what keeps us broken. (laughs) It's what keeps us broken. It's the fear of God. I want to close right here, but the last, I just want to give a quote, and then I want to move on to the last point. Um, Kareem, you can come up, bud, and, and uh, play. Charles Spurgeon said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. <laughs> the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. <laughs> Allow the fear of the Lord to chase all out any other fear that is vying for your affection, that is vying for your attention, the fear of the Lord. All right, I want to close here. This is uh, my last point. Overcome, how to guard the glory. Overcome offense by embracing the crucified life. We talked last Sunday about crucibles. Luke 2.48, back to the story. When Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished, or another translation says, they were shocked. And here, right here, we we have Jesus' first recorded words in the flesh. Verse 49. I finally got to the red letters. (laughs) Why were you searching for me? He asked, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? The Passion Translation says, did you not know I had to be consumed with him? I found when Jesus asks me a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) He's trying to draw an answer out of me. He's trying to get me aware of a lack that I have or something that I'm not aware of. Secondly, it's amazing that Jesus continues his work with or without my participation. (laughs) He was doing the Father's business with or without his parents. The Lord loves co-laborers, but there are things that will happen in the kingdom that we don't get a vote on, that it'll just happen. He will come back for a pure and spotless holy bride. Whether you and I get to choose to participate in that, it's up to you, but it will happen. His, His kingdom will come. He will establish his kingdom in the city of Jerusalem again, and we don't get a vote. It's happening. In verse 48, it says, when Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished or they were shocked. In other words, they were offended at Jesus' location. What do you do when Jesus offends you? Verse 49, it says, they did not understand what he was saying. Oftentimes, it's what we don't understand in God that leads us to offense. We tend to reject what we don't understand, and that leads us into offense. How many of you uh, husbands ever told your wives, you look beautiful today? If the wife is carrying offense in her heart, what she will hear is, I did not look beautiful yesterday. (laughs) Emily's never done that, by the way. (laughs) But I've realized offense will gift me the ability to hear things that were never said about me. (laughs) That's what offense does. 
I want to say revival at times can be offensive. His glory can be offensive to the unrenewed mind. We all want revival, but sometimes we don't want the package that the revival comes in. Every revival and move of God comes in a package that offends the carnal mind. And I must be okay knowing how Jesus moved 10 years ago may not be how he wants to touch me now. <laughs> Pastor David said last week, God doesn't want to hurt you. He just wants you dead. <laughs> I've never heard one dead person complain about offense. <laughs> when you're dead, when you die again, there's nothing to be offended about. You may ask, how do I get offense out of my heart? How do I get hurt out of my heart? And the best answer I could say is stare at Christ crucified. It's impossible to be offended when we are beholding our Lord hanging naked on a tree. Rex Humbard used to say this. He said, if you think you are having a bad day, look down at your palms. If they don't have holes in them, you're doing okay. <laughs> There's a book I started reading called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a book filled with stories of men and women who died for their faith in Jesus, for their love for Jesus. And this was uh, Catherine Coleman, a great, great revivalist. This was her favorite book outside of the Bible. And in Catherine Coleman's copy of the Book of Martyrs, she had written in it this, this message to the Lord. She wrote, dearest Jesus, I love that just on its own. Give me the privilege of being one of them. <laughs> Give me the privilege of dying a death that will honor you. This, you won't find this in church growth strategies. <laughs> you won't find this. My prayer for everyone today is that the Lord would give us such a burning love for Jesus that we would count it a privilege to follow him even unto death. In the book, there's an account of Peter's death. It says, when Peter was older in age, Emperor Nero planned to put him to death. When the disciples heard of this plan, they begged Peter to flee the city. Peter fled. And when he got to the city gate, when he was about to exit the city, it says this, Jesus Christ himself appeared walking toward Peter. Peter fell to his knees and said, Lord, where are you going? Christ answered and said, I have come to be crucified again. By this, Peter understood that it was his time to suffer the death of Jesus, which would glorify God. So Peter went back to the city. After being captured and taken to his place of martyrdom, he requested that he be crucified in an upside down position because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same position as his Lord. This completes the prophecy that Jesus told Peter in John 21. He said, very, very truly I tell you, when you are younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will one day stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. How's that for a retirement plan of Jesus's, one of Jesus' disciples? We have this idea in, in Western culture that as we get older, 
the more independent we must become and the more free will we must become. And while that is the American dream, that is not God's dream for my life. God's dream is that I become more and more like his son. How do we look like Jesus? Through crucibles, through pain, through tragedy, through trauma. When tragedy hits, when trauma hits, refuse to let go of the horns of the altar. My invitation is simple. Come die again. <laughs> Come die again. Come die again today. I've learned that God reserves the right. Please listen carefully. God reserves the right to deny me any prayer request or any desire that undermines my purpose in him. He reserves the right. He is Lord. Let's just close our eyes for a second. My question, just even for myself, to everyone is, do you miss him? Do you miss his touch? Do you miss how your heart maybe burned at one point? Do you miss him? You may think, this is just my life now. That, that was reserved for the day I got saved. No, 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 friend. <laughs> we're supposed to be more in love today than we were the day we got saved. Does scripture not come alive to you anymore? Come to him. Come die again and let him light the fire in your heart. Jesus, I pray over every single person in this room. God, I pray that you would restore and rekindle the flame and the fire of first love with you, God. I thank you, Lord, that knowing Jesus, may that be the ultimate dream of every heart in this house. May knowing the depths of his presence be the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate desire. May it not just be language, Void of behavior. God, may our behavior match our language of loving you. I thank you, God, right now that you would just set a fire in every heart. Set a fire. Begin to woo your people, Lord. Begin to woo them. Begin to call them back to the place of prayer, to the place where they begin groaning again for your presence, where they begin praying costly prayers for you. Even right now, I feel the Lord is bringing conviction so things that you're watching or things that you're entertaining that are not, that are grieving him. It's not that he doesn't want you to have fun or anything. He wants you to be holy more than he wants you to have a good time. God, I just thank you that you would just burn today, burn tonight in every heart. Lord, I thank you that you will draw your lovers back to you. Draw your bride back to you tonight. This may not seem really popular, but if you're here in this room and if you have sin in your life that you need, to, you need to repent of, begin confessing it right now. He is faithful and he is just to forgive. You can leave here completely washed, completely redeemed. Oh Jesus, I thank you that you would restore hearts and minds just as you restore eagles. I pray you would restore the hearts and minds of men and women in this room who have experienced tragedy and loss and crushing, I thank you that they would leave this room tonight soaring higher and farther than they ever dreamed they could. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.